Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Daniel. The Old Testament book of Daniel and Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel and chapter number 8. We are continuing and now finishing up our series of the lineage of Jesus Christ. As we've been taking our time to trace the history of the Bible through the lineage of Jesus Christ, 64 generations of people from Adam the first man to Christ the second Adam. We've been tracing through the lineage of Jesus Christ as is recorded through his kingly line. And we've been tracing through the last bits of the last kings of Judah and witnessed them as they were transported away to Babylon and the empire of Babylon. And then this morning we watched them return from Babylon uh, as the lineage continued, no longer kings but still in the lineage of Jesus Christ through the chosen signet of God of Zerubbabel. Well, Zerubbabel is going to have children, and he's going to have children, and they're going to have children, and there's going to be eight more generations from Zerubbabel all the way up to the stepfather of Jesus Christ, Joseph. And as we trace through this and go through here, we also see that the world changes quite a bit in an error that we call the silent years. The silent years is a period of of history that we call because God does not reveal any scripture during the time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That God is silent and the people are without more revealed revelation of who God is and what God's plan is. That there's 400 years of silence. However, whereas God is not speaking, he is still in control and he is moving history about to bring across exactly what needs to happen at the right time at the right place and we'll speak more about that next Sunday night as we talk about Jesus Christ and the lineage that he was prophesied born of a woman made of a woman and we'll cover more of that in detail but we're going to cover in broad strokes the history of the world from the time of of um the silent years to cover what has changed in history so we can keep up of where we ended with Zerubbabel all the way up to the birth of Jesus Christ. Now for this to happen, we have to go to prophecy. Remember that the Bible is silent during the 400 years. However, it is not without a witness and without a path. In the book of Daniel chapter number 8, God gives a prophecy to the prophet to the prophet Daniel to give him a roadmap and an explanation of what's going to be happen during this intertestamental period. This intertestamental period. And with this, turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter 8 and let's get a running start of this prophecy and see if we could discern some of these things. The book of Daniel chapter 8 and verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Bethshazzar, a vision appeared unto me, even unto me Daniel, after that which appeared 
appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in a vision, and it came to pass that when I saw, I was at Shushan in the palace, which is in the province of Elam. And I saw in a vision, and I was by the river Uli. And I lifted up mine eyes and saw, and behold, there stood before the river a ram which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher came up last. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward, so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west on the face of the whole earth, and touched not the ground, and the goat had a notable horn between his eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns, which I had seen standing before the river, and ran in unto him in the fury of his power. And I saw him come close unto the ram, and he was moved with a cloakier against him, and smote the ram, and brake his two horns. And there was no power in the ram to stand before him, but he cast him down to the ground and stamped upon him, and there was none that could deliver the ram out of his hand. Therefore the he-goat waxed very great, and when he was strong the great horn was broken, for it came upon four notable ones towards the other towards the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards the south, towards the east, and towards the pleasant land. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and of the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host and was taken by him, and by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and the place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host was given him against the daily sacrifice by the reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. Then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint, which spake, How long shall they, the vision concerning the daily sacrifice and the transgression of desolation to give both sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? And he said unto me, Unto two thousand and three hundred days then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as an appearance of a man. And I heard the man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I was, where I stood, and he came and I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, son of man, for the time of the end shall be the vision. Now he was speaking with me. I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And he said, Behold, I will make thee know what is in the last end of the indignation. For the time appointed to the end shall be, the ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia. 
the great horn is between his eyes, is the first king. Now being broken, whereas four stood up for it. <coughs> four kingdoms that stand up out of the nation, but not in his power. But in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come full, the king full of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, but not by his power. And he shall destroy wonderfully, and shall prosper, and practice, and destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his policy also, he should cause craft to prosper in his hand. And he shall magnify himself in his heart, and by peace shall destroy many. And he shall stand up against the prince of princes." but he shall be broken without hand. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut up, shut thou up the vision, for it shall be for many days. And I, Daniel, fainted and was sick certain days. Afterwards, I rose up and did the king's business, and I was astonished at the vision, but none understood it. And with the Lord's help, I'd like to take this bit of history that we start in the book of Daniel chapter 8. And I would like to hit, as we hit this lineage of Christ, the intertestamental lineage. The intertestamental lineage. The intertestament uh, carries the idea between the two testaments, between the Old Testament, between the New Testament, covering the 400 years of silence, the 400 years of history between Malachi to Matthew. The intertestamental lineage, where we're going to see what's going on in the history of the world as the lineage of Christ continues to march on. And so if you don't mind, we cover this period of the intertestamental lineage. And let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for the great privilege it is to be in your house, to open up your word, to learn more about you and whom you are. I'm asking that you would help us now to have an understanding of this passage as you have a desire for us to understand it. And that you would help us to discern it and to learn of the history and what has changed in the world as you've been putting things in place for the birth of Jesus Christ upon this world. Thank you, Lord. Now I'm asking that you would help me to have the mind to, uh, <laughs> as I'm enthusiastic, I want to teach this type of thing. I'm asking, Lord, that it would not be of myself, but it would be of you. But it would capture the hearts. It would capture the imaginations. It would help fill in the gaps. It would help us to have a better understanding. And those are things that you and your precious spirit need to do. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, as Daniel is ruling or working in the time of Babylon, he happens to have a strange vision. And he has this vision of this goat, uh, <laughs> this ram with two horns, and then he has uh, a vision of a, of a little he-goat that comes and runs and smacks into the ram and breaks him in pieces, and then all this stuff happens. And like most people who'd read it say and hear this vision, what in the world is this? Well, it just so happens that God interprets, so we don't have to guess, God interprets, and everything that God said that was going to happen in prophecy, we could go back in our history and find it, it came to pass just exactly as God said it was going to happen. By the way, it's one of the reasons why we can believe that the Bible is the Word of God, because of its fulfilled prophecy. 
And by the way, this is why people who hate the Bible hate this passage because they don't understand how someone could predict the future with such accuracy. They even go as far as to say is that someone had to go back and edit Daniel. Someone actually had to go and call himself Daniel and write this portion and that what they're writing here is history. It is not history. It is pre- it, it's our history. But at the time that it was given, it was prophecy. And it shows that God knew what he was doing as he's putting things in order and showing and revealing what's going to happen. Now, before we go deep into Daniel chapter 8, we have to start off with a common denominator to understand ancient world history. To do this, there are some, the, what you need to understand, first of all, is world empires. The world empires. Anyone who's taken one of my classes understands that this is testable material. In order for you to understand your Bible and the different things that are going to rightly divide the word of truth, you have to have an understanding, a working knowledge of the world empires and the world empires in order. In the ancient world, there were many world empires that put their influence and put their uh, their positions as a shadow across the world. Remember that the Bible was not written in a bubble, meaning that it wasn't in a little secret compartment hidden away from everyone else. But the Bible is history and it's influenced by world politics just like we are. And it affects how people see the world. It affects how people see the government. It affects how people are responding, knowing which world empire is ruling at the time. Now, Daniel chapter 2 goes through much explanation as God is revealing to Daniel once again what is going to happen in the future. And he does it by explaining the world empires. He repeats it again. It's so important that he repeats it again in Daniel chapter 7. For the sake of time, I would never get through this message if I went through every passage that would explain it. But for the sake of time, I'm going to give to you the world empires in order and class. Anyone who's taken my class, this is testimony material. You must know this. My kids know this because I asked them today. All right, kids, we're driving. I know you're concentrating on looking at the road. Name me the world empires in order. This is something you need to know if you're going to keep the Bible in order. So the first world empire that puts its influence, Egypt is going to be to the side. Don't worry about Egypt. But the world empires that affects all of the world starts with Assyria. Assyria is going to be the Nazis of the ancient world. They are the evil bad guys, the Assyrians. And remember that the Assyrians were used by God to destroy the northern kingdom of Samaria, Israel, in 722. BC. After the Assyrians, the next world empire is going to be the Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire. The Babylonian Empire, its head was Nebuchadnezzar, who was the chief ruler of Babylon for most of its existence. Remember that God used Babylon to destroy the southern kingdom of Judah, the city of Jerusalem and the temple in 586 BC. So you have Assyria, Then comes Babylon. After Babylon, the next world empire that you need to know for your understanding of the Bible is Persia. Persia, which by the way, we mentioned this morning that the Persian 
Empire destroyed the Babylonian Empire in 536 BC. And when they destroyed the Babylonian Empire, that the first emperor of the Persian Empire, Cyrus the Great, sent the Hebrew people back under the leadership of Zerubbabel to go rebuild the temple and rebuild the city of Jerusalem. And the Persian Empire is where... um, Ezra comes. The Persian Empire is where Nehemiah comes to rebuild the walls. The Persian Empire is the backdrop of the book of Esther. It is very important to our understanding. After that, after the Persian Empire, so we call Assyrian, Babylonian, then we go to Persia. The next empire, and we're going to talk more about that here in just a bit in Daniel chapter number 8, is going to be the Greek Empire, the Grecian Empire, the Greeks Now, the Greeks are going to be very, very important in the New Testament because the common language of all of the known world in Jesus' day and in Paul's day was Greek. And so the Greek empire is going to be very important and it's going to happen primarily in between the the two periods of the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's very much intertestamental. After the Greeks rose up the world empire of Rome. And of course, Rome was the world empire that was ruling during the day of Jesus Christ. From his birth to his death to Paul's death, the Roman empire was large and in charge. And so if you're going to understand your Bible, you need to know which world empire is ruling in the time. This helps us to place the minor prophets in their place. This helps us to put the historical books, the major prophets, to understand what is going on. Once again, the world empires, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greeks, Rome. Those are world empires. And anybody who takes one of my classes, if you just want to understand your Bible more, you must know those world empires and you must know them in order. And when you read your Bible, it will help tremendously if you could place what section of the Bible you're in and what world empire is in charge during that time. Now, with that being said, let's go back to the book of Daniel chapter 8 and let's explain a little bit more of Daniel's vision. Let's see and walk through this passage and see more of Daniel's vision. Now, once again, I don't have to make something up and I don't have to come up with something. God gives the prophecy and then he gives the interpretation. All I have to do is explain the history to you. So notice if you don't mind, let's walk through this vision. Daniel chapter 8, notice with me in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of King Bathshazzar. Now in this we see what world empire we are currently on. This is Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was in charge. Then after he died uh, there was another king. And then the third king with Bathshazzar. Bathshazzar. In the third year of the reign of the king of Bathshazzar. There right now in the Babylonian empire. A Vision appeared unto me, even unto Daniel, after that which appeared unto me at the first. And I saw in this vision, as it came to pass, that when I saw, I was at Shushan in the palace. Now, for those of you who may not be familiar, this doesn't mean anything to you. However, for those of you who understand history, this is very important. Shushan is the winter palace of the Persian Empire. Now, at this time, there is no Persian Empire. But here Daniel is transported through this vision 
to a capital that is not the world empire yet, but one day soon will be. And so he's at Shushan the palace, which is in the province of Elam. Elam is the home province of the Babylonian empire, the Medo-Persian empire. In fact, all the way through the Old Testament before, every time you see the word Elam, you could just put in your mind Persia. By the way, in case you like geography, we'll put that in there. This is now modern day Iran. So this is where we're having it at. So he's now transported in this vision to modern Iran in the winter palace of the Persian empire of Shushan. And I saw in this village uh, vision and I was by the river Uli, which is the river there. And I lifted up my eyes and saw and behold, there stood before the river a ram that had two horns. And the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other and the other came up last. Now, this is a strange creature. So here is a ram, and you've seen the big rams with a huge horn. And so they had these big, tremendous horns that would curve around. But one of them was lopsided. One was a little bit higher and bigger than the other one. Say, what kind of thing is this? What, what this is, is a picture of the Persian Empire. We know that because it's interpreted in verse number 19. And he said, Behold, I will make thee to know what is the last of the indignation for the time appointed to the end shall be. The ram which thou sawest having two horns are the kings of Media and Persia. Now, in the ancient world, Media Persia was one empire. I often shorten it and just call it the Persian Empire. But Media Persia was the same, were two people groups of the same area. And for all the time, all the way up to the end of Babylon, the Medians were the primary leaders, the rulers who ruled over that, that kingdom. But after Cyrus the Great, who is the one who conquered Babylon, now the people groups that's in charge are the Persians. So the Median Persians are the same group of people, two people groups, the same empire. And the Medians ruled first, but the Persians came second, last, and biggest. And so all it's doing is picturing, uh, giving a lot of information by a picture in a way that we could kind of understand and pick through it. Now notice as it goes on in verse number four. And I saw the ram pushing westward and northward and southward. So no beast could stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand. But he did according to his will and became great. Now if you could picture in your mind's eye from the country of Iran, from the location where this vision is placing, this ram goes and begins to conquer the world. It begins to go westward. So from Iran, you now go to Iraq, which is, by the way, the empire of Babylon. And the Persians cacti conquered and destroyed the Babylonian Empire in, uh, sorry, 536 BC. By the way, the Bible, this is a very big event in biblical days. I can't go through all the passages to explain the fall of Babylon, but Cyrus the Great did a miracle work and took Babylon without a shot. Just an amazing thing. They continued to go westward and went all the way up to where the promised land was at. Then they continue to conquer northward all the way up to the southern borders of what we would call Russia. And then they went to conquer southward, which would include all of the Mount of modern day Saudi Arabia, 
but also southward into Egypt where the Persians took control of the Egyptians as well. And the Bible says here in this picture that there was nobody who could stop. And the Persian Empire became a massive empire that went from the borders of Europe all the way up to India. From the southern part of Russia all the way up to Egypt. They had a massive landmass, and this is what the Bible is explaining that this world, that this beca- land became great. And so they went and they conquered everything they possibly can, became one of the largest empires. Well, after the Persian Empire came, then something else happened. Notice with me, you don't mind, in verse number five. And as I was considering, behold, he. Uh, Behold, a he-goat from the west. Now let's pause here. As it's talking about the west, even today we have the difference between the eastern world and the western world. When it's talking about the west, it is going to be talking about Europe here. And it's dealing specifically with the country of Greece. Notice it goes up. And I saw a ram pushing westward and northward and southward so that no beast might stand before him. Neither was there any that could deliver out of his hand, but he was, did according to his will and became great. And as I was considering, behold, a he-goat came from the west, uh, from the whole, uh, whole earth and touched not the ground. And the goat had a notable horn uh, on it between its eyes. And he came to the ram that had two horns and I had seen standing in the river and ran into him in his fury and his power. And then it goes on, says that ram was, couldn't stop and then it took over. Notice the interpretation of it in verse number 21. And the rough goat is the king of Grecia and the great horn is between his eyes is the first king. Now, As he is speaking, remember right now, Babylon is the world empire. After that's going to be the Persian empire. But now it's making a specific reference to Greece. Now this is very important because Greece is a backwater, it's not even a unified country. In this time, Greece is separated into many, many city-states. And these city-states are too busy fighting each other. They're in the midst of what is called the Peloponnesian Wars, the wars between Athens and Sparta, trying to fight who's going to be dominant, between Sparta's militaristic ideas and Athens' democratic principles that are being developed. And so the city-states, there's no such thing as Greece right now. They're all a bunch of city-states fighting each other. But the Bible says, guess what? They're going to be unified eventually. This is in the future. God says, I can even see this whole country put together and this country of Greece. And the first king of Greece is going to come and he's going to take over the world. By the way, the name of that person is Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great, his father was Philip II of Macedonia. And Philip II is the one who unified all of Greece. Now, Alexander was a little bit mad at his dad because he wanted to be the one that unified Greece. Well, if I can't unify Greece, I'm just going to take over the whole world. And so he took all of his Grecians and put together an army, and then they traveled to Asia and began to fight. They crossed over into Asia in 334 BC. Now, there's a little waterway that's about a mile wide called the Hellspot 
between Europe and Asia Minor near Turkey. And there Alexander the Great crossed with 48,000 soldiers, 6,100 cavalry, and a fleet of 120 ships with crews that numbered in those 121 ships of 38,000. Now why is this important? Because he never got backup. He never got reinforcements. That was his entire army that he had for the entire time. Why is this important? Because he conquered the entire world without having reinforcements, without having backup, and never losing a battle. He became known even today in history as the greatest military general because he conquered the whole world and never lost a battle. And now this is important because this is such a clear explanation of Alexander the Great that when Alexander the Great started to conquer all of the known world, he started to go to Jerusalem and the high priest met him outside with his Bible and said, hey, we've been waiting for you. Did you know that you're in our Bible? Alexander looked at that and said, hey, that's me. Okay, consider yourself conquered. I'm going to go to the next town. And he didn't destroy Jerusalem like he did every other town that he crossed. Why? Because the Bible talked about him. And it was very clearly he understood, hey, that's me. And so he marched on. Alexander the Great went and conquered Persia. By the way, that was that ram. He destroyed Darius III and the great armies. Crushed the whole world. Then he started marching all the way up to India. And it said at the very end that Alexander cried because there was no more world to conquer. He beat everybody up. He took over the world. He was in charge. Now what do you do when you conquered the whole world? Well, he didn't have to wait long because something tragic happened. Turn with me to the book of Daniel chapter number 8. Daniel chapter number 8 where you're at. Notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 8. Daniel 8 and verse 8. Therefore, when the he-goat waxed very great and when he was strong, so it's talking about the height of his power, the great horn was broken. And it came up four notable ones towards the four winds of heaven. Notice with me the interpretation in verse number 22. Now when that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, four kingdoms shall stand out of the nation, but not in his power. So what happened? Alexander the Great died of a battle wound. He didn't lose the battle. He won the battle. But he had a battle wound that just wouldn't heal. And so he ended up dying, but he did not leave a will, per se. So his four generals divided Alexander's empire amongst themselves. One of them took Europe. One of them took India. One of them took what we now call Syria. And the other one took Egypt. And they renamed Egypt into the Ptolemy Empire. By the way, uh, Cleopatra of famous thing. She was not native Egyptian. She was Grecian. Because she came from this Ptolemy stock. And so the world empires go on. We're not worried about Europe and we're not worried about India. But the two that do affect Bible history during this time is going to be Syria, and which is going to be called the Seleucid Empire, and Egypt, which is going to be controlled by the Ptolemies. Now what happens is that the Seleucids and the Ptolemies begin to get in a big 
uh, struggle to be who's going to be more powerful, who's going to be more dominant. And guess which area of land is in between Syria and Egypt? A little place called the Promised Land where Israel and Jerusalem is at. And so what happened is that they needed a buffer zone between these two great empires and Jerusalem in that uh, track of land of Israel became uh, political football as they would try to kid it before, back and forth, trying to capture the flag, trying to keep it, trying to keep control of it. And back and forth, these two empires would do a tug of war upon these people. Now with this is going to make a very interesting uh, thing to occur. Notice if you don't mind. <coughs> um, now a side thing that occurs is that more and more of the Hebrew people start to follow Greek culture and forego their old Hebrew culture once again. Now that's going to show up in the New Testament. That's going to show up in a couple other things. But people are going to start adapting Greek culture and start trying to follow the philosophies of Plato, of Socrates. And they're going to try to mix the Old Testament to the, to the Greek philosophers. That's neither here nor there, but it's an interesting note that things begin to change. Well, as we go back to Daniel chapter number 8, notice with me in verse number 9, as we see something specific happen in this tug of war between the Seleucids and the Ptolemies. Notice with me in verse number 9. And a little one out of them, so out of those four empires, a little one came up forth a little horn, which waxed exceeding great towards the south and towards the east and towards the pleasant land. This is, of course, Israel. And it waxed great and even to the host of heaven, and it cast down some of the host and the stars to the ground and stamped upon them. Yea, he magnified himself even to the prince of the host. And by him the daily sacrifice was taken away, and his place of his sanctuary was cast down. And a host of him was given against the daily sacrifice by the reason of transgression, and it cast down the truth to the ground, and it practiced and prospered. And then it goes on and talks about this transgression of desolation and this abomination of desolation and when's it going to be cleansed and of course we get the interpretation in verse number 23 through 25 but maybe I could explain what happens out of one of these divisions from the Seleucids came a notable one named Antiochus Epiphanes Antiochus Epiphanes now his um his name when he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes meant God manifest how egotistical do you have to be to say, hey, look, I'm God presented to you? Others, the Hebrew people specifically, called him Epimenes, which meant the madman. It's kind of like in, um, in uh, the 90s when they had Saddam Hussein. If you watch all the interviews by President Bush, he would always call him Saddam. So Sodom meant <coughs> Saddam Hussein carried the idea of prince. Saddam meant horses rear in. And so he would specifically just change the language. Well, that's what they did. Atticus Epiphany says, look, call me Epiphanes. I am God manifest. And they would go, oh, I've tried to pronounce the word, but I pronounced it wrong. Epimenes, which meant the madman. By the way, the madman was a very apt description of who he was. He would continue his uh, 
uh, tried fight against the Ptolemies. And it happens to be during one of these tirades, he was going down with an army to march down to beat up the Ptolemies once again. And for the first time in history, another group of people showed up to stop him, which was the Romans. The Romans showed up and they intervened in the affairs of a major kingdom. And they said, listen here, you leave the Ptolemies alone or you have to mess with us. Well, Atticus Epiphanes was no fool, checked out their army and their fleet and said, eh. And so he started marching home. And like any other kid, a big bully who got his balloon taken away, he's now mad and he wants to kick someone's dog. He wants to be mad at someone. He wants to take out his anger on someone. Hey, there's those Hebrew people. No one likes them. I know I don't like them. How can I aggravate them on my way back home? Well, the Hebrew people have rebuilt their temple and they've dedicated to God and they've been trying to live for the Lord the best they could. But Antiochus Epiphanes said, you know what? The Hebrew people, they don't worship Zeus. They need to worship Zeus. They need to worship the greatest Greek God who ever lived. Hey, the Hebrew people, they hate pigs. They consider pigs a defiled animal. And so because of Antiochus Epiphanes' influence, he had someone sacrifice a pig in the temple of God to defile the temple. Well, as you can imagine, the Hebrew people were not very happy with this. This incident, by the way, is called the abomination of desolation. And by the way, Atticus Epiphanes is a picture of the Antichrist. In fact, in this passage here, it's a dual prophecy. It's one of the historical person of Antiochus Epiphanes. It is also a picture of the Antichrist, who, by the way, he's going to rebuild the temple of Jerusalem. And then when it's completed, he's going to sit on the throne in the temple and declare himself to be God in an event called the abomination of desolations yet to happen in the future. Now, Antiochus Epiphanes, as he does this, the Hebrew people rebel and they are not happy at all. So what happens is they begin to have a revolt called the Maccabean Revolt. And so the Maccabees went and they killed the um, guy who sacrificed the pig, not Antiochus Epiphanes, but the guy Antiochus sent. And then they fled in the wilderness and started this revolt against Antiochus Epiphanes. Now the leader of his name was the Hammer, or in Hebrew, Maccabee. And because of this revolt, there was a major persecution once again upon the Hebrew people. These persecutors uh, tried to destroy all the rebels. Now against all odds... Judah Maccabee and the rebels triumphed over the Seleucid army. Now following the initial victories, they recaptured the temple and they needed to cleanse it out because it had been defiled. Now in order to cleanse it out, in order to reestablish it, they had to light what was called a menorah, which is a seven branch candlestick that provided light and did as a symbol. In order to do this, they, uh, they had to cleanse it. But they were kind of stuck in, in the temple and they couldn't get out uh, because of the army around them and their supplies. They only had enough oil in the lamp to last barely a day. But it was going to be at least eight days until supplies came. Now wouldn't you know that God's still working? Amen. And that that tiny bit of oil allowed that menorah to burn the entire eight days. Because of this event, 
which <laughs> occurred, the Hebrew people established a new holiday called Hanukkah, which is called the rededication. When God supernaturally continued to supply the oil to protect his people and to give them light in the midst of this rebellion. All against Atticus and Epiphanes. Now we had started off in the Babylonian Empire. Then we saw the prediction of the Persian Empire. Then we saw the Greek Empire come. But now let's go to the last one in world history. The Roman Empire. Now, because of the Jewish people and their revolt, the Jewish people won independence from themselves and they were no longer part of the Seleucid Empire and they were no longer part of the Ptolemy Empire. They were their own people once again. They once had their own independence. That was until an idiomite by the name of Antipater allowed the Roman general Pompey to conquer the land. Basically, what he did was this. Hey, general, you want some land? I'll sell it to you. He didn't ask if he owned it or if he had any rights. He just said, hey, I'll sell you this land. Hey, what will you do? Hey, give me honor and prestige. Consider this land yours. So when the Romans marched into Jerusalem and Judea, they said, hey, you're all our subject people. The Jewish people said, what? We didn't lose a battle. How'd this happen? What, what just happened here? And the Romans said, don't worry about it. You're just our people now. Consider yourself thing. By the way, this is why even in Jesus' day, there was so many rebellions because the Jewish people were upset. They weren't conquered by a traditional battle. You know, it's one thing if the enemy comes and beats you up and, okay. It's another thing when someone sold your land when they didn't own it and the oppressors come in and say, guess what? We own everything now. We bought it. Free and clear. Nothing you can do about it. This is why in Jesus' day there were so many uprisings by the Jewish people. Because they were not a happy conquered people. They were not happy at all. In fact, any Roman governor who was sent to Judah, it was usually as a punishment. That's where you would send all the governors who were scumbags or, or didn't like that. That's where you send all the troubled people. Oh, you know what? Let them deal with those Jewish people. They're always revolting. They're always, by the way, um, Pontius Pilate was one of those people. Oh man, I got to go deal with those Jewish people. Why me? I could have been somewhere else. I could have been in Spain. But nope, he was there. And the Jewish people gave every Roman leader a hard time. But as time went on, Antipater had a son. And when Antipater died, his son took over. That man's name was Herod the Great. Now Herod was a great master builder he rebuilt and revamped, reconstructed the temple, and he was a great politician. In his building efforts, he remodeled the temple in about 20 BC to please the Jews and to promote himself. In order to give him peace, he says, hey guys, how about we rebuild your new temple? Will that make you happy? Sure, if that's what you want, fine. All right, cool. And he rebuilt the temple. He was a master politician himself that there was a civil war in the Roman Empire between Octavius Caesar and Mark Antony. Now for a while it looked like Mark Antony was going to win. So Herod said, I'm going to back Mark Antony. And then Mark Antony lost. Herod the Great was summoned to Rome to go give an answer for what he did against Octavian. But because Herod the Great was such a master politician... When he faced Octavius, he befriended him and became such a good friend that he walked out of that meeting with the title, King of the Jews. 
given by the Roman Senate. So again, what, how great of a politician you have to be when you back the, the losing team and you go to your meeting and come out where the winning team's given you honor and prestige. He was just that good of a politician. But he was also a um, very evil guy. We lost track of how many kids he killed that he would get mad at his son and have him killed. In fact, Octavius Caesar once said of Herod the Great, it would be better to be one of Herod's pigs than one of his sons because at least you know Herod won't kill his pigs because Jewish people don't touch pigs. They're unclean animals. That's just how bad it was. Herod the Great knew that no one would cry over him when he died. So what he did is he arranged when he got sick to have the 70 most popular and prominent people in all the land to be arrested. And when he finally took his last breath, those 70 people to be killed. So that way the whole nation would be in mourning when Herod the Great died. That just, what a great guy he was. By the way, it was this same Herod the Great that tried to kill baby Jesus and ordered the slaughter of every child two years and under to try to wipe out any threat of anyone who would try to call themselves king of the Jews. And thus brings us to the history of the 400 years going from the time of the last kings of Judah to finally the birth of Jesus Christ. A lot of things have changed in this world, but through it all, as we see in the book of Daniel, God was always in control. None of it caught him off guard. That God was not surprised by Antiochus Epiphanes. He was not surprised by Herod the Great, Antipater. In fact, God, even though those were horrible men and horrible things, God was still allowing these things to be put into place for the exact time and the right time for Jesus Christ to be born on this earth. And we'll see more about that on Sunday night. But I know that tonight was more informational. But what I do want to encourage you is that God is always in control. We may look at our history today and say, who's running this ship? We're going on a planet that's going a thousand miles an hour. Who's driving? It's definitely not our current president. It's definitely not things going on. What is going on? Are we just flying out of control? I want to encourage you that God is in control. He's never stopped being in control. He doesn't take his hands off the wheel. God always knows what he's doing. And you can trust him because he is the God of all history. He sees what's going on. He understands what's going on. He's allowing things to be put into place because God is that great of a God. Can you trust him? He's a God who knows the end from the beginning. Can you trust him? He's the one who knows how to put things in order. Can you trust him? Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you could give us a call at area code 920 920- 
920-530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.